All right. Looking at the Holy Spirit and its role, if you will, in our sanctification, its, its role in our efforts in conjunction with the Word and through the Holy Spirit to continue this effort in our life at putting sin to death. I wish we could not talk about this sometimes. I really do. And uh, I have brought other lessons <laughs> before, um, but um, I, I find this so intriguing, so necessary uh, to make sure that we understand this and that we look at the whole whole picture regarding this killing of sin. Uh, there's one more lesson uh, in this series that I'll be bringing. And then uh, after that, the next time you see me, it, we will be looking at a whole different topic. Knows what that will be, uh, but for right now we're gonna we're gonna finish this up, and I want to take you back to our focal passage, uh, which I don't expect you to remember, but it was from Romans <clears throat> chapter eight, verse thirteen. This is what the entire study is based upon, where Paul's talking there, and he says, "For if you live according to the flesh, you will die; but if you by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body." You will live. And of course, this morning we can take and focus upon that, that phrase there, by the Spirit. This is how it happens. This is where the, the power comes from. This is what the Scripture refers to as the dunamis in our life, from which we get the word dynamite. That's where it, it comes from. There's this tendency for us to think in miraculous terms and in part, that's, that's, there's, some, there's a bit of accuracy in that. We can do that because the Holy Spirit in its work, in its operation, in its provision in our life is miraculous. But it's a spiritual process. Okay, it's not hook and crook. It's not magic. Okay, and people get very, very confused about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a thousand ways we could go in evaluating this and looking at it. You know, a couple of years ago, at Grace Community Church there, you know, they did that uh, uh, conference called Strange Fire. And did anybody go to that in here? I know we had several from the church that went, but nobody in here. Uh, and I followed up. Did I see a hand? I followed up on that uh, with the blogs that they put out and the books, read the book and looked at the... Uh, all the information that came out because I know they were looking at the response that they would get primarily from the charismatic community uh, about that teaching. <clears throat> and I never <clears throat> never saw anything that the leaders, if you will, from the, the, the charismatic camp, they never put up anything, and, and from my understanding, that was, as I would say, word-related, okay, that would cause me to reevaluate you know, uh, a cessationist attitude toward uh, the gifts of the Spirit and so forth. And I desperately looked for that. And now people have been waiting to see what is the impact from that, how it, what, if at all, what kind of impact has it had on a true understanding of the Holy Spirit, uh, an understanding that, that keeps us from attributing the works of God through the Holy Spirit, literally sometimes through the acts of Satan himself, and then vice versa taking the confusion and so forth, it's generated uh, from an inaccurate understanding of the Holy Spirit and attributing that to God. So it's been quite, a, quite an effort 
Well, <clears throat> you've heard things from time to time in your walk and uh, work home, whatever. You know, you hear these these catchphrases that people often uh, reverberate. For instance, they talk about giving up the self life for the Christ life, and there's there's some truth in that. I understand that. Or they say, stop striving in the energy of the flesh. There's some truth in that, but that's not the total answer. Or they say living, talk about living in the power of the Spirit. And they, they cannot distinguish between the Holy Spirit of God and feelings. They cannot distinguish between the two. Or they talk about phrases like, you know, they'll say quit, quit trying and just start trusting. You know, try to make it very, very simple. Let go and let God. Have you heard that one before? Okay, and I understand these, and, I, and there's an element of truth that comes from those. Or you don't need more of the Holy Spirit, He just needs more of you. I actually like that one, okay? <laughs> That's pretty good. A lot of truth there. Or they go even further and talk about some sort of second baptism, or some second experience, or some sort of uh, or a fresh filling, which is not entirely inaccurate but the thing is we use all these different things to talk about our need and our response to the holy spirit and they they indicate some level if you will i think some level of of spiritual desperation in a person and sometimes that desperation is driven because somebody has a certain understanding about in this case sin and their battle with sin and Maybe they're inconsistencies in living for Christ, and they become frustrated at the results. They become frustrated. They don't understand that temptation is never going to leave. You're always going to be placed in situations where you're being tested or tempted, depending upon how you respond. That's not going to go away. There's always going to be uh, this decision-making process that centers around light and dark in our life. You're you're never going to get away from that. And I even, I know in my early days as a Christian, I didn't understand any of this. Uh, I didn't at all. And really, I wanted a quick and dirty answer to the problems in my life, to the perpetual sins in my life, if you will, to the things that I know that kept me awake at night, that I desperately in my heart wanted victory over, but I couldn't find that source of victory. And I can share with you that was because of my misunderstandings or really ignorance at that point about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, His work in my life. And then even more important, uh, or along with that, is my role. What am I supposed to do? And I wanted something to happen. I wanted a lightning bolt to come out of, come out of the clouds and hit me and my problems and glory to God, you know, but it never, never happened that way. It never happened that way. <clears throat> more practical than that it involves us knowing the word of god and it involves us exerting our faith through obedience it will never deviate from those two brian hedges says that in general most would agree that christians who are not satisfied with their spiritual life simply want whatever it is they don't have and that can be dangerous can it not the desire may be sincere but the method is faulty i've been i've had an influence in my life at one time where this was the message all the time. The message was always, don't you want more of what God has? Don't you want a, a fuller life? Don't you want this? Don't you want that? And, and before long, it became, my motivation became me. 
God, what are you going to do for me? How can I get more of you for me? Okay? And that's wrong. That's wrong because that takes God off the throne and puts me on the throne. Now I understand more clearly, and how for a while you can rest, uh, that uh, it's all about Him. It's all about glory to God. And then we step back and look at His miraculous hand in our life because of obedience, because of faith, because our life is hidden in Him and our desire is to bring Him honor and glory. And He does what He says He will do when He has our whole heart. And that's what we shoot for. We won't, we won't get there apart from the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. It won't happen. It won't happen. And there are many who think that they can do that. You know, intellect is important. Knowledge, particularly, of course, specifically in the Word of God, is important. Uh, But the things that we bring to the table by way of personality and all that have very little to do with the impact of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our life when it comes to service for Him. Believe me, the more we center upon the fact that it's Christ, it's the strength of His Word, it's our yielding to Him, the more we center upon that, then the more effective we are in our service and the more clearly we see Him and who He is. You know, the tighter the bond, if you will, the greater the love grows between us and our Heavenly Father. Because remember, He is not just our Savior. He is our Lord. We serve Him. Everything in our life is funneled through Him. And that means His Holy Spirit within us and His precious Word that we have. So we talk about knowledge. We talk about worship. We talk about behavior because the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit affects these three things in our life. You know, we can have knowledge. The Bible talks about those who had knowledge, but it wasn't mixed with faith, which comes from the Holy Spirit. And we, we couldn't, those people couldn't do anything. They knew things. I know a lot of people, you do too, who know the Word of God. They don't believe the Word of God, though. They haven't submitted themselves to it. And worship... How to worship? The Bible says we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Both of those. We can know about worship. We can have the Word right. But what about individually? What about where are we on a, on a given day, and here we are preparing to worship, where are we on a given day regarding the fullness of the Spirit within us? We could say, what's hindering us this morning from hearing the voice of God clearly? It could be that we have not responded to what the Spirit of God is saying to us in our heart. You know, we shared the last time, uh, what we hit on that verse, I believe, about if, um, you know, you come to the altar to, to pray and so forth, and you realize that your brother or your sister has something to get you, then you can't worship. You leave there. You leave your gift at the altar and you go and make it right. That we would be right spiritually, that our relationship with our Heavenly Father would be right in order to worship. So we're challenged with that once again this morning. And then specifically again when it talks about our continual sanctification, becoming like Christ and seeing God accomplish all that He wants to accomplish in our life through His Word and through the Spirit, we focus upon our behavior. And behavior is a byproduct. And when we get it right, when we're centered 
when we're centered in the Spirit's will, when our desire and the reality of our life is that we are walking in the Spirit, as Paul says. He's talking about the fullness of it. Not mere possessors, because every believer is a possessor. But we're walking in the fullness of that Spirit when we can hear clearly and we can decipher the things, if you will, the, the, the opportunities for service in our life. We, we funnel those through the work of the Spirit in our life. And it's a wonderful thing. We become convinced of the reality of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our efforts to define this thing. Because I say again, the danger is that we cannot equate, we cannot differentiate, differentiate rather, feelings from the work of the Spirit. Can you do that in your heart right now? Can you distinguish between a feeling and the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? I hope that you can. And that's, that's the gray area. That's the gray area. We always think upon the Word of God when we're experiencing something and we're overwhelmed with emotion. That's, that's normal. We're, we're made that way. But we must be able to distinguish feelings from the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we get there? It's by focusing upon the Word of God because the Holy Spirit will never, ever take you somewhere uh, that, that contradicts the Word of God. And sometimes we just have to say, you know, I feel this way. My experience tells me to go this way. But there's something telling me that that's, that's, not in, that's not in conjunction with the Word of God. So we go back to the Word of God and we say, I'm going to stay here even though I feel it. It doesn't seem right, but it is the Word of God. And I guarantee you every time you'll see the hand of God being true and being real in your life. This is how your faith grows. This is how it grows. This is how you, you, you get to the point where you first and foremost seek the Word of God. You seek the approval of God, if you will, through His Word. And He'll manifest that through His Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. And I like to describe it in trying to help people distinguish between you know, feeling and the, and the presence or power of the Spirit in their life. You know, uh, I like to talk to them about it's just a simple knowing. I don't know how else to say it. It is a presence, right? It's the third person of the Trinity who's come to indwell us as believers. And as we'll see in a minute, it's, it's necessary and it happens for every single believer. It's a, re, it's a spiritual reality. So it can be experienced. And we can know that we're acting upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit and not just our feelings. A very, very critical thing to be able to do. So we're told, if you will, to surrender. That surrender is simply an act of our will. But it's our will that's the problem sometimes, isn't it? It's our will that's giving us the trouble. You know, where, where do we get the strength where do we get the wherewithal to bring our will, if you will, in conjunction to what the Word of God says? Well, we don't. <laughs> we can't. But the Holy Spirit of God can do that. We may be exhibiting uh, more trust in the flesh, for instance, than in the Spirit. And we struggle, he says, in our sanctification. But Scripture 
provides for us a balanced perspective. It does. And I love these particular verses here that deal with the Holy Spirit from a very practical standpoint. We've seen them before and applied them in a little different context, but the first one that I want to talk about is really a command from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, where Paul tells us through the Spirit and the Galatians in his day, he says, walk by the Spirit. Now, if Paul tells us that we are to walk by the Spirit, we can infer and understand that that is something that can be a reality in our life. It can, be a, it can represent a distinguishable difference in our life. That is, we can see the evidence of it. Our fellow <coughs> believers can see evidence of it. And the world can see it, but they won't know what it is or understand it. But we're to walk by the Spirit. So that should be our desire first and foremost. you agree with that? And then, of course, you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18, and this is where he tells us in part, he says, just be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. And actually, and I'm sure you've seen this, but what that actually says in its entirety, it's a continual process. It says, be being filled with the Spirit, which indicates that you can be a possessor and not be filled with the Spirit all the time. That is our desire. That is our uh, that encompasses our efforts to follow Christ, to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that on a continual basis? Well, first off, it, it indicates we got to monitor that, don't we? we got to be able to understand, am I operating today in the flesh? Am I operating apart from knowledge of God's Word? Am I doing something that's keeping me from being filled with the power of the Spirit? Okay? Now, when I say be filled with the Spirit, see, I grew up in a church that taught if you were filled with the Spirit, in other words, <clears throat> they probably wouldn't think I'm filled with the Spirit right now uh, because I'm not sweating, I'm not hollering, okay, I'm not waving my hands, I'm not acting in a super emotional way, okay. And quite frankly, in a, in a manner which really gets more the, the attention than what I'm saying. I kind of grew up with that influence. But that's not what we're after. The Spirit will speak through our obedience. The Spirit will speak through the Word that's in us. And when He does, the Bible says He gets honor and glory for that. God gets honor and glory for that. Christ gets honor and glory for that. Not me, okay, not Shane, not... Not Joel, not anybody who stands and preaches or teaches. It would be better and it would be the desire of everyone who does that to have the people who are listening say, you know, they talk about what they heard. They talk about the empowerment of the Word of God and the Spirit of God from the teaching or preaching. And then they say, but who was What was his name? It wouldn't be important. It's not important. It's what the Spirit of God does through the preaching and teaching. We want to be able to monitor that in our lives. Be filled with the Spirit of God continually. It's a process. It's a process because sanctification is a process. There are things out there. There are forces out there. And we talked about them. Paul says, it's a war. They're warring with me constantly. It's a process. But there's victory. Praise God, there's victory in that battle. Thirdly, he talks about not grieving the Spirit. And you know, it talks about 
the Spirit in such a way here is we understand that it is an entity. You know, we say a person, the third person of the Trinity. And he says, don't grieve it. And he goes on to say, because this is how you are sealed. This is the work of God in your life, the very fact that you are a possessor of the Holy Spirit. It seals you. It's, as it says in another place, it's the earnest which means it's the down payment, it's the proof that we belong to Him. So we can have that confidence, we have that. So we don't want to grieve Him, and it's relational. It says don't grieve Him because this is how you were sealed by His presence in your life. It ought to be a great thing for us. and We don't want to offend, if you will, the Holy Spirit, or that is to say, the presence of Christ in our life. And that again is to say, Christ Himself. We don't want to do that. It's very relational. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because we need Him. We need His clarity, don't we? The next time that decision comes up, it affects your, your, your spouse or your children or some critical thing at work to say nothing of your work and service in the local church. And things that are coming your way, are they of God or are they not? Should I take advantage of this or not? And do we believe that God is anxious, if you will? Can God be anxious? That He's desirous to give us an answer to those things in our life because we're seeking Him. He says, I'll I'll answer you. I'll give it to you. If you get hungry and your daddy can give you some bread, then I'll, I'll give you the Word of God. I'll give you direction in your life. This is what He wants to do. And then he adds, and I add rather, from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, where he says, do not quench the Spirit. And that's where we are this morning, because the way we quench the Spirit of God is by power. Sin. We can't get away from it. That's what comes against us. And it may not be something over the top. It may be something like being lazy, okay, or being selfish. Okay, or not being sensitive. Just any way that that door can be breached just a little bit so that sin can get its face in there and make something much, much bigger out of our flesh. So we walk by the Spirit. We're to be filled by the Spirit continually. We're not to grieve the Spirit. And we are not to quench the Spirit of God. Find the relational aspects in all that. This is how we relate. We take the Word of God. We know it. This is how we know God. This is how we know Christ. And the Spirit of God is the power behind that. The Spirit of God. So that's the way it works. This is His work. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, John gives it to us very, very succinctly, very, very plainly in John 16, 8. Because he says, and when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit that will be coming to and dwell the believer at Pentecost. He says He will convict the world of sin and He will convict the world of righteousness and He will convict the world of judgment. This is, in a nutshell, the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in our life, but in the world. This is what He does. What do you mean, convict? Well, it's, it could be rendered convince. That's a powerful, isn't it? Something, something has to have, have power to convince 
us of something, which is to say to change our mind about something, which ultimately will change our behavior, to be convinced. So this is a real entity. This is a knowing. This is a presence, if you will. What do you mean? Convict us of sin. Some people don't know what sin is. We don't know what it is. Not in our flesh, we don't. We don't know what righteousness is. What are these good works? What, what's good and what's not? What's tainted? Well, the Holy Spirit will teach us that. It'll take the law of God and let the law of God do its work in our heart and teach us what sin is. As Paul says, it's our schoolmaster. But we're not going to read over and say, yeah, I know that, I've heard that. No, the Holy Spirit will convince us of the truth of it. It will convince us, it will convict us, if you will. It will bring it to bear on our life and put us in a place of responsibility. That's what the Holy Spirit does. This is what sin is and this is what righteousness is. Why is that important? Because we get off on a tangent about doing things that we think are right and good and it may not be what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. We're following our desire. We might even be following what makes us feel good. What puts us in the limelight. What's more effective for us. The Holy Spirit can wade through all that. The Holy Spirit can convict and convince our heart about our motivations for what we do. And you know, this is what the judgment for the believer is all about, is it not? It's not just what you did, it's why you did it. What was the motivation? Was it for Christ? Was it for His honor and glory, the ultimate glory of Almighty God? Or was it for you? And I dare say, nothing from the outside can help you with that. That's between you, that's between us as believers and God Himself. So, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. What's that last one? Convicts of judgment. You know, I dare say that part of the problem, maybe the main problem with the world today is it believes there's no judgment. There's not a judgment. God's too good. He's too gracious. He's too loving. Okay, he's got a plan that's going to bring everybody together. And the Bible tells us plainly that he's a God of wrath. That's what he is. We don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear about the responsibility I have regarding my own sin, much less the sin of the world. Well, if we didn't have relief from that, if there was not a salvation, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. But this is what wakes us up. This is, this, is what, this is what the Word of God does in our heart and life through the Spirit of God. That's why we find ourselves praying on Sunday morning uh, for the Word of God that's preached and taught that God, please, move through that Word. M- move with your Holy Spirit. Move in the hearts of people who are here who are searching, who don't know, or Christians who are here who are looking for answers. They want their life poured out for God, but they're having difficulty. And then, of course, those who are here for whatever reason, and they don't know. They may be here to scoff. Who knows? But it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can convict that heart. I was so thankful for what we heard from Dr. Ellen Friday night. I tell you what, I needed that in in my life when he preached about and taught about what we do with people that we are praying for constantly, but they will not. What do we do? How do we approach that? What does the Word say about that? And I left that with a, 
a greater level of confidence, a greater level of liberty in my life, just understanding what the Word of God said about that. That was the work of the Holy Spirit where the Word was given. To say nothing about what He taught on about the fear of man, that was, that was wonderful too. So it was great. And for those of you who didn't make it to the, to the conference, you, you missed a lot. You missed a lot. Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, Christ can preach from a practical standpoint, can He not? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Who said that? Yeah. Wow. It's God's desire. And how many times have we made that personal assessment and said, Lord, I, I need more. I need more. I need a, a fullness. My plate is too full. My responsibilities are too great. The expectations are too great. I cannot do this. Then and only then are you in a position to receive what God has for you. You know, we can't bring anything to the table. Not not that much. It's poison. We're totally dependent upon Him. The truth of His Word in us, the fullest, the power of His Spirit in us to do His work. To do His work. And isn't it interesting to see, isn't it liberating to know that it's His desire to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Yeah. Well, that Holy Spirit initially comes in faith and repentance. It comes in understanding that we're outside the camp. That we don't bring anything. We don't have anything to offer. And when that faith and repentance takes place and the new birth is a reality, we have the Holy Spirit. Of God. Scripture never speaks of the Spirit's work in ways that eviscerate, however, our responsibility to actively pursue holiness. You say, no, wait a minute. Spirit did all of this, but I've got to do this. Well, you will do this. It will be your desire to do this. Not always, because you've got to grow. But as you grow and as you move forward in the, with the, and yielding, if you will, to the Word and to the work of the Holy Spirit, you become convinced. Was this not What he said the overriding work of the Spirit was to convince us, to convict us. And we say, this is the way it is. I yield. I identify things in my life. I take them to God. He forgives. He empowers. And I trust Him. I continue in His way. And He has never, ever failed me. Now that's a convincing preposition right there. Proposition. Very convincing. And that has to be our experience as believers, you can't just read about it and it be, you know, a reality in your life. That's part of it. You can't do that. You can't just see it in somebody else's life. That's very much a part of it. That's what we're to do. We experience it when we exert faith, when we follow Christ in obedience and the work. God will convince us. This is what lets people be tied to a stake and burned alive. Okay? This is what allows people to suffer for the cause of Christ. This is why, because this is a knowable experience, reality in their life. The power and presence of God through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. This is a reality. This is the experience. Well, 
We're told in Scripture to be active. We say that He doesn't or it doesn't eviscerate us or it doesn't take away our responsibility because of the work and power of the Spirit. But now we have the power to respond. The Bible talks about running, you know, or walking, walking in the Spirit, all these active verbs. It talk, Paul talks about, I've run the race. He's talking about the race of life. He's run the race and he's done it faithfully. It tells us to flee sin, another active verb. It talk, Paul again talks about fighting the good fight. This is life. This is what we do through the Word. And through the Spirit. All active verbs to describe what we do as possessors and of, as those who are full of the Spirit. Psalm 34, 14 says, Depart from evil and do good. And it means to do it. Okay, to get involved and to do it. And he says, Seek peace and pursue it. And the reference to peace there, if I, understand, I believe I'm right on this, it's talking about uh, peace in our heart. Sal- salvation kind of peace. Peace with our fellow man. But seek peace. Pursue it. Desire it. Desire sanctification. Desire to be more like Christ. But keep Him first and foremost in your life. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Listen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, Paul says, but now much more in my absence. And he gives this admonition. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Ooh, that's liberating, is it not? Verse 13, God's doing all that in me. He's making it happen. Yes, but back up to verse 12 just for a minute because he tells us to work out our salvation. Now, there's no hint here. There's no link to some kind of works salvation mentality here. That's not what he's talking about. This is an encouragement. It's an assumption that this is what Christians are prone to do, drawn to do, because they are Christians. That's their desire. Paul is encouraging here. And he says this phrase, it's rendered work out. It means to continue toward fulfillment. It means to desire completion. You could go back and equate it to that verse that we looked at. It said, be being filled. Be continually filled. This is our pursuit. And it's wonderful to know that that is a reality in our life. That's something that we can have. And we're already partial possessors of that. It just has to do with how much of that do we want? of our life. What are we spending our money on? What are we spending our time on? Who are we trying to impress? We could look at it that way. And he says to do this, to, to let this out take place in our life, he says through fear and trembling. He's just talking about reverence. He's just talking about this righteous awe, if you will, toward God. That, that recognition of who He is. He's in His place. And we're going to follow Him even when it don't make sense. We're going to do that. And the more we do that, the more that faith grows, the more it's built. I won't say it becomes easier, but it certainly becomes second to our new nature. I can assure you that. As we go to Christ first. We go to His Word first. And when we don't, because we're not perfect in that... We instantly realize that. We instantly 
realize that we have departed in our attitude, in our words, in our actions from the truth of God. There for a moment, we weren't spirit-led, we were fleshly-led. We were walking in the flesh. It happens, doesn't it? And you'll know it. You will know it like that. Why? Because you're walking in the Spirit. There's been a change. There's awareness in your experience and you recognize it. That's walking in the Spirit of God. And we can trust Him to do that. does it every time without fail. Philippians 1.6 He adds, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I throw that in there just to give you a breather here <laughs> and to let you know that it's always the Lord God who's doing this miraculous work in our life. Because when you want to sit there in your garden out back or on your steps and weep over your failures and so forth, that's good for a moment or two. But then you turn your heart to praising God for doing what He said He would do. He will accomplish this in our life. What does He need? He needs a willing servant. He needs somebody who has given Him, as it says many times, their whole heart. They're sold out to Him. He has begun. So, uh, in studying that, it said it only used twice in the New Testament. It always talks about salvation. When we start out in our walk with Christ through the new birth, We've begun with Him. It's a new day, thus the new birth. He'll bring it to pass, the things that He wants to complete. It says that He will complete it. And it looks toward a a final reward is the context of what He's talking about there. He will bring us to that point of glorification, if, if you will. He'll do that. He will do that. We don't experience that sometimes, right? Why? Because of those feelings all right we don't we don't we don't feel good we might not even feel safe sometimes we have to go back to the word and look at it you know we don't feel empowered we've 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 gotten a little dirty you know he tried to teach peter this right very simply peter got to wash your feet you ain't washing my feet well you know you don't have any part with me if i don't wash your feet oh well don't just wash my feet wash wash all of me that's peter right i don't want all of you peter i just want to wash your feet Get those feet washed. Confess your sins. But trust God to do what He says He will do. And you'll be surprised how easier it is, how much easier it is to step away from the things of the world, to not be brought down, as the writer of Hebrews says, to not be entangled with those things. The power of the Holy Spirit does not free us from the need for effort, but it rather empowers us in that effort. This is important to know. This is what helps us to keep from getting our mind twisted a little bit in thinking that we're somehow producing this or that we're good enough for God to do it through us. No, it's always totally, totally about Him because of His Grace. J.I. Packer says that the Christian motto should not be let go and let God, but rather it should be trust God and get going. That's what he says. Trust Him. And now, as is always the case, because of that trust, do something. Demonstrate. 
be, as James said, be a doer of this word that now lives within you and the power of the spirit that lives within you. Be a doer of it and not just to hear. And James goes on to say, and we shared this last time, didn't we? If you do that, you're deceiving yourself. It's a deception to just hear and not do. We've got to get up and get going. Well, I don't feel like it. Or I'm not equipped to do that. Or the timing's not right. Let me go and bury my parents, is what one guy said. Let me go do that. And what he meant was, let me go do that and get my inheritance. And then if we have to miss a meal or two, then I'll have this bag of money. That's what he was saying. Jesus knew what he was saying. You follow what I'm saying? I went off down a rabbit trail there, okay? Follow him. Trust him. I'm not saying don't count the cost. But move. Move forward. Move forward in Christ. And God will do what He says He will do. Well, how does He do this? Well, 12 minutes. How does He do this? Well, we look at the Spirit's role in you know, our sanctification, if you will, is back. And we have our role. The Spirit's role is to part to supply us grace. Well, specifically, but there are three things. He supplies us with grace. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, promised and delivered by God the Father, just as Christ said. We know that. And I turn your attention to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. Peter says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. From Joel chapter 2, and it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams and my men servants uh, and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is one of those passages that has a partial fulfillment. An initial fulfillment, of course, at Pentecost when we saw the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, later he's talking about the day of Christ. But it does have that partial fulfillment. But that's the work of the Spirit of God. You know, That's what's going to happen. This is a great, great power, if you will, thing that we have. Um, and we need to understand all that we can about the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit of God. The indwelling Spirit of the believer provides grace for the effective pursuit of victory over sin and a holy life. That's the only place that we find it. It's the only source of strength for us. The Spirit purifies and cleanses our hearts. You know, it uses images. It talks about fire. It talks about water, you know, fire that purifies, water that for instance, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he talks about baptism. John the Baptist, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Or in John 3, 5, where Christ is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about being born of 
water in the Spirit, water that cleanses and so forth. It's the Spirit of God, the work of God through His Holy Spirit. He opens our minds to the fullness of Christ as revealed in the Gospels. And he says in John 15, 26, but talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. Now there's a message right there with about four points. What? The helper, that paraclete is that word, the one who comes alongside, as you've been taught, I'm sure. That's that relational aspect of the Holy Spirit. He can be experienced. He's, he's there. I know He's there. He comes alongside. He, Christ says, I will send Him to you. Where's He come from? He comes from the Father. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is the Spirit of truth because He only testifies of God. He only testifies of Christ. He never deviates in His direction for us from the Word of God. Never. He is the Spirit of truth. I don't know about you, but I can hang my hat on that as we say, okay? I can do that. He proceeds from the Father and He will testify of me. Hey, bring it on. Then I want more of Him in my life, in my experience. The Spirit causes our hearts to abound in grace. And I wish I had more time to, to deal with this because this phrase about abounding in grace takes us to the, uh, the manifestations or the fruits of the Spirit as we know them, those nine fruits. And it talks about those fruits in our life as manifestations of God's grace. And you can certainly see that. And we don't often look at it from that perspective. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yes, these are the fruitful manifestations in our life, but they are also graces in our life that have impact on others. This is what gives us fulfillment. This is the life being lived out in us. I remember, a, I've referred to him before, an old preacher friend of mine, Dr. Walton, Millen, who was indeed a, a Greek scholar, and he would often preach, and he'd have that little red Greek New Testament. He would preach right out of the Greek language, and I loved hearing him because it was always so much, so much more richer, you know. But he would go over these time and time again. And I remember one time, in, as I was a growing Christian, I was in my mid twenties, and he said something simply one day. He said, "You want to know what Christ was like." You want to know who He is and what He's like? Then look at the fruits of the Spirit because He was a constant manifestation of these fruits at all times without fail. That was the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have. These are graces in our life. This is what makes life real. When we demonstrate, I give them to you again, we demonstrate love. We experience joy, not just happiness, which is dependent upon circumstances, Right? Joy, peace, both with people and with circumstances in our life. Two different words in the New Testament. Okay, two different words. And when you read about, you know, or I know, patience. I, I went to patience. There's two different words for patience. Talking about patience with people, patience with circumstances. And when you see that word rendered patience, know which one it's talking about. Look at it and see. 
Not being anxious, but having peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love that last one, don't you? When people see self-control in us, they know instantly something's happened. There's, there's something different here, right? They know, they know instantly that they're in the presence of something different because you're not acting like they expect you to act. You're not responding perhaps out of the flesh or without knowledge. What are you doing? You're listening to the voice of God. You're searching your heart for the Word of God to come to bear on this situation before you open your mouth. That's what you're doing. And by the way, God will never fail you there either. He'll never do that. John Owen says, the Spirit works in us and with us, not against us or without us. We are, as believers, the church. We are the body of Christ. He has purposed to do it through us. That's His desire. It's His will. Now as we wind downhill, down, remember, talk about cooperating with the Spirit. Remember these two things. They're profound, but they're very, very simple. So simple, it's prayer and the Word. Prayer and Scripture. Do not fall to the temptation to minimize these. Even in this book, he says, caution, there's a big thing on the book. Do not minimize these two things. Don't stumble at the simplicity of the two, he says. They're the most neglected and they're the major arsenal that we have in yielding to the Spirit of God, following the Spirit of God. Knowing God, spending time in His Word, that's what pushes out, if you will, the world in our life. That's what changes our affections. That's what gives us a greater knowledge of who Christ is. And then prayer. Speaking to God. Listening to Him. He's, he's sealing these truths in our heart. Again, through the Spirit. You can't take the Spirit out of that. Those are so simple, we stumble over them. We stumble over them. But we have this surety about who we are in Christ from Romans 8 9. Because He says, if we have not the Spirit, we are none of His. If we have not the Spirit of God, we are none of His. That is, we don't belong to Him if we do not possess the Spirit of God because every born-again believer has that. So what am I saying here? Well, if we know we have that, we know we belong to God. We see the work of the Spirit in our life. We've come to where we can identify that. It's not just a feeling. It's a reality. It's a knowing. It's a presence. It's a manifestation. It's God in us. Our hope of glory that Paul says. And it's our surety. Just like it's our seal. Down payment. It is our seal. In Ephesians 4.30, we're sealed to the day of redemption. That means it's a done deal. It's a done deal. You can't disappoint God so much. You'll say, give me back that Holy Spirit. I'm going to let you flounder for a while. No, you can't do that. He don't do that. Thank God, right? (laughs) Thank God. Can't get myself saved. Can't keep myself saved. Can't do it. But God can. And He does that. So we must nurture the fruit of the Spirit 
in our lives. Two minutes. Nurture the fruit of spirit in our lives. Because I got a few little verses here I want to share with you from Philippians 3.10. Here's the result of a desire for that. We see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. That's why I'm convinced the Holy Spirit has that for us this day. That's why I can read it to you now. Because he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit is a reality in our life, when it's a presence, the presence of God that we know that we cannot live without, it makes this kind of service possible. It changes our desires. Paul says, it's my desire. I want to know Him. You don't know Him, Paul. You know Him. Okay, you spent three years with Him down in Arabia. You know Him. No, he means I want to know Him more. I want to know more and more and more about Him. I want to understand and experience the power of this resurrection in its fullness. You know, it's that same power that gives us strength. It doesn't just born us into the family of God. It's all related to Christ's victory over sin at the cross. And that's what we continue to battle in our pursuit, our yielding to the sanctification process. I want to know that. I want to know fellowship. Again, the word is relational. And if it means suffering, he says, I want to share in his sufferings because I want to be there with him. If your spouse was in prison right now in some foreign country and you couldn't get them out, what would be your next best desire? What would it be? I'd just be there with him. I'll be there with him. I'll be there with him. I'll be there with her. I'll bring comfort. I'll be there. I'll minister. Paul says, I'm conformed to his death. I'm given over to that. Paul says, I've considered myself dead already. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is what the Spirit does in our heart and life. Quickly, Philippians 1.29, he, he builds on that previous thought that he gave or that we see in chapter 1 there. He says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, listen, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. We don't like talking about that, do we? But I'm telling you, it is an evidence of where we are in our Him, where we are in our level of fullness, if you will, in the Spirit of God. It would be willing to do that. I'll end with Job because I'm out of time. Who said it this way? Oh, Job, righteous dude, okay, found himself in a quandary, couldn't, couldn't figure out, didn't feel right, okay, couldn't figure out why he was suffering like he was, but he knew God would not deviate from his word. And the more he pondered that, because his faith was real. It was a little faulty, just like Peter's was, but it was a real faith. He made this statement, and this is where we want to get. In Job thirteen fifteen. he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, when that's your heart and your life, whatever the circumstance, you can know that you're totally given over to Christ. You're totally yielded to the work of the Word and the Holy Spirit in your life because you're saying He life. He can have my life. He can take my life. And though He slay me through my circumstances, through my trials, my tribulations, there's been a many a Christian that's been martyred. They were not delivered, at least in this life. They were taken into the next life. All in the fullness and in the love 
of God.